Hi, this is Andrew Levy, and um, what I'd like to talk about in today's podcast is just what's happening out there with regards to uh, wages and strikes and collective bargaining and all those kinds of things. And to sum it up, I'd end off by saying it's going to be an interesting year. Well, let's see how we get there. First thing is, let's look at inflation. There's no question that it is spiking very significantly for a number of factors, but um, perhaps the single most important one, of course, is the war in the Ukraine and its impact on food prices and oil prices. Now, that is something which was completely unforeseen, was an economic shock, and uh, that's what wars tend to do. They tend to uh, push economies off the path that they're on. Now, we were quite comfortable keeping inflation, or when I say we, the uh, Reserve Bank, between the low end of the 4 to 6% band. Currently, it's about 5.8%, and um, in my view, I think it's going to go further. And of course, this fuels collective bargaining and becomes a justification for wage increases. Now, on that score, it does seem as if the whole COVID epidemic and the economic losses that stemmed from that is a reality which has not sunk in insofar as unions are concerned. In other words, their negotiating approach, their negotiating strategy, tactics have remained unchanged. They're archaic, they're antiquated, perhaps more of a risk to the union's members than uh, to management. But this notion of almost double-digit increases or certainly significantly above inflation dies very hard. But the fact of the matter is that employers equally are feeling the pain, they're feeling the strain, they are battling to keep their uh, uh, organisations afloat, and under these circumstances they have a strong resistance to wage increases and particularly wage increases significantly above the inflation rate. I think most employers would agree, um, albeit a little reluctantly, that workers should get at least an increase equal to inflation. Otherwise, in uh, real terms, they're going backwards. And I, I can't find any good justification as to why people who are doing an adequate job and if they're not doing an adequate job, they shouldn't be with you, shouldn't be able to keep up with where they were last year. In other words, their take-home pay, their purchasing power, should not be eroded by inflation. But, you know, in times like these, where uh, really uh, the economy is not in a good situation, um, there is very little probability of many employers uh, looking to settle at um, double or 80% plus the inflation rate and so on. And what the unions frequently underestimate is that uh, under these circumstances, the employers don't have a great deal of slack to play with, not a lot of room to manoeuvre. And so if they do end up with a strike, it's going to be a long one. Now, I'd like to point to two as a particular case in point. The first is Sabanya Stillwater, the gold miner, and the original offer was 800 rand and something on the housing allowance. The union wanted 1,000. The employer, I think last week in fact, um, but recently, upped his offer to 850 and made a move on the housing allowance. 
that was put to a meeting of the workers who rejected it. They still want their 1,000 rand. Now, this strike has been going for almost two and a half months, and one thing is clear, they will not get 1,000 rand. There is a, uh, an old saying here, and that is that all strikes will come to an end, sooner or later, and that all strikes will end in a compromise. So they are not going to get that 1,000 rand. So the, so the question really is, why is this strike dragging on and on, and why are the employees stroke the union holding out for a figure which is unattainable? Well, the answer to that um, is something we can't be certain on. It may well be that uh, workers themselves are setting that as their uh, uh, final position and are not in a position to understand or to know um, that the employer can't meet this particular claim, in which case we end up with a Marikana-like situation, hopefully without the, uh, uh, the police involvement, which led to the tragedy, but a situation where after a five-month strikes, and, and who knows how much by way of lost production and lost wages, the union settles, the workers come back for a figure they could have had four, six, eight weeks before without that strike. It's, it's, it's really wasteful. And perhaps the time has come to relook our leg- legislation in this particular regard. Now, the next one that I want to turn to is slightly different, and that's the clover dairy strike, which has been going on for at least three or four months now. And initially, uh, this strike was about retrenchments. Clover dairies wanted to retrench a large, large number of employees, and they uh, resorted to strike action, the employer locked out, and there seems to be no movement. Now, Clover are still trading, so the strike is not being effective in terms of shutting it down. Certainly people are trickling back to work, so the strike seems to be folding. But the point I want to make here is that, generally speaking, and I can't think of a situation in my own experience where uh, this has been the case, that striking workers... Uh, stop retrenchment or redundancy exercises. Um, Those are very difficult strikes to win. To expect people who will have jobs or do have jobs to put that all on the line for people who, in point of fact, uh, are going to lose their jobs. So again, I think this is a strike that is unlikely for the union to uh, uh, get their way, which is a uh, total ban. Uh, on retrenchments, and it will end in a compromise. But it will have been at a huge cost to employer and employee. So there's a spark of irrationality in our uh, strike action, and I'm afraid we're going to see this continued throughout the year. Now, in terms of um, negotiations to watch, and we're getting to the sort of preparation stage for the wage round, the auto industry, both on the manufacturing and the distribution side, because there are two bargaining councils, are due to negotiate this year. Um, The major union there being NUMSA. NUMSA is a particularly strike-prone union, and it's uh, very early days yet, but uh, there is the probability that um, there might be strike action there. At the moment, I'd put it quite low, 
Um, but we'll have to wait and see. The other one which is fascinating, of course, and will set the trend for everyone else is the public sector. What is going to happen there? Now, those negotiations are in their very, very early opening stages where both parties put their first positions. Uh, and, of course, the employer says we can't afford anything and the union wants uh, 100% across the board, backdated to 1652, because that's when all this nonsense started. And somehow they hopefully uh, meet in the middle. The irony about the public sector is that if you look in the budget, if you look in the national accounts, um, both parties will know what the government has budgeted for in terms of wage increases. And it certainly is nowhere near 5.8% inflation. So we have to see how that is going to play out. Inevitably, all employers have a little bit more in their back pocket. But, you know, could it move from a position of 3.84% to 6%? I doubt it very much. So in point of fact, the probability is that unless cool heads prevail, um, there will be a fairly serious dispute in the public sector. The other thing which is equally clear and becomes rather dysfunctional is the fact that in the light of the last Concord decision um, on the government pulling out of the final phase of the last three-year deal, which has now been supported by the highest court in the land, the union is not going to go for any more three-year deals in the immediate future. They don't want to run the risk. And that means we've got to go through this procedure, which is huge, in the Public Sector Bargaining Council almost every year. Do I believe there will be a uh, an all-out successful strike in the public sector? No, I don't. I think that if you look at the average level of earnings there, between 45, 48,000 rand a month, those sorts of employees cannot afford a lengthy strike. They cannot afford to strike at all. They have lease repayments, they have house uh, housing loans, uh, they have uh, school fees to pay, they have overdrafts, credit card debt, they cannot afford to strike. But not everybody earns that amount. That's an average figure. At the lower end, um, where you will find nurses, you will find people who uh, do the grounds, upkeep, the cleaning, the Hawu members, Denosa in the case of the nurses. Um, and strangely enough, the teachers, um, the Southern Democratic Teachers Union, that's where the real militancy lies. And I wouldn't be surprised to find some kind of industrial action there. Um, And that will be a big test because this is uh, not one that the government can afford to lose. So having said that, I think those are going to be the trendsetters for the year. And we are just going to have to wait and see. What we can say is that obviously during COVID with shutdowns and restricted production, people weren't at work, they weren't working full time, there weren't many strikes. Last year, the number increased very significantly from about 15,000 in 2019 to about, I think it was close to 500,000, 550,000 in 2020 uh, or 2021. um, And I think it's going to be even more this year. So let's wait and see. But there are some thoughts for you in terms of upcoming wage negotiations. I hope you find that of interest and of value. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.